it is time for your Monday Night Raw review with a co-host that hasn't been on the show in a while. And Michael Gross returns to discuss Monday Night Raw, drop his wrestling knowledge on us as he does so often that you guys love. And we are going to get that show started right now. This is WWE superstar Drew McIntyre, and you're listening to the WWE Podcast. The one that everybody wants, me. Welcome to the WWE Podcast Monday Night Raw Review. Thank you, everybody, for joining us here tonight. And let me start off first with giving a shout out to our latest patron over there, of course, on Patreon.com. And that is Joel Postel. Hope I pronounced that right. So Joel is the latest member to our Patreon family, enjoying ad-free and, of course, lots of other benefits like the priority placement in our mailbag show that is, of course, recorded tomorrow night. You still have time to get your mailbag questions in. It's a bit light this week, and I said that the last time, and you guys absolutely destroyed me with emails and phone calls. So um, I expect a little bit lighter this week, though, just because it is Thanksgiving week and people are traveling, and I'm, you know, my podcast is not exactly most people's priorities, although it should be. I mean, you, you should prioritize this show over seeing your friends and family. I mean, like the hell with Thanksgiving dinner, the hell with seeing your friends and family. Just worry about this show because this is all that matters in your life. If only I was actually that conceited. Uh, but no, I really do wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving with their friends and family. Hopefully it is a little bit better than it was last year. Um, you know, obviously with COVID and all the the uncertainty and fear and all that kind of stuff that that was going on and does still linger today. So I hope that uh, everyone does enjoy yourselves, enjoy the food, enjoy the football. Uh, we're going to be here with you. If you're sitting on the couch or sitting on the, in the chair after consuming an enormous amount of food and you're, you're about to pass out. Well, hopefully we can help you um, maybe go to sleep if you, that's your goal, because a lot of you apparently sleep to us, which I guess is a compliment. I'm not sure how to take that. Or if you want to just be engaged and take your mind off things and hear us talk about wrestling, both of those goals can be achieved by listening to the WWE podcast. But my mailbag show tomorrow night, if you want to get involved, you can email us at real WWE podcast at gmail.com, or you can call us, leave a voicemail at 518-952-0247, and you get three minutes to lay it on me. Questions, comments, rants are all welcome there. So, um, all right. Well, that is uh, pretty much it for the intro. You guys know how to go ad-free on Patreon or on Apple Podcasts. Click that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. There's an ad-free button. It gives you seven free days, and then it's $2.99 a month. Or on Patreon, it's even cheaper at a dollar a month. And, of course, there's tiers above that. But uh, the schedule for the rest of the week, guys, is as normal, although on Friday or rather on uh, tomorrow is Wednesday. Tomorrow is going to be mailbag. And then uh, we're going to have an, an AEW Dynamite review show. We're going to have a SmackDown review show. And uh, on Sunday, I'll be joined by a brand new co-host, a brand new co-host. And uh, it's one of our patrons. So looking forward to that. And I think you guys will recognize the voice, but it is a brand new co-host to the show, um, and he has earned that right 
as being in our higher tier on, on Patreon. You get to uh, come on the show and co-host with me once a month. That's one of the benefits of a higher tier membership. So consider that if you would like. And that's enough of my promotions. Let's get to myself and Michael Gross discussing everything WWE right now, and specifically targeting Monday Night Raw. Everybody, thanks so much. Happy Thanksgiving, and I'll talk to you next time. Guys, it's been too long. It's been too damn long since we've had Michael Gross on the show, and that's why I'm really excited to say he is back tonight, and we're going to be talking a little bit about Survivor Series. We've already done a whole review show on that, but I can't not talk about it as we've got him with us, and also covering Monday Night Raw and the current product in general. So, Michael Gross, the gardener, how you doing, brother? It's great to have you here. I'm all right, you know, uh, enjoying life down here in Louisville, and uh, I've got a lot of thoughts and opinions on what's going on in wrestling right now. I've missed all the listeners. I've missed the feedback and the Twitter um, engagements and such, but, you know, to the, the huge Twitter family that we have and the threads and all the people that are part of the family with WWE podcast, let alone the fans, thank you guys. Miss you. I really miss you. No, I, I hear you, and it's it, this is a therapy session for you, for me, for everybody listening. It's an escape from our normal lives. It is time, regardless of what is going on in your life, to talk about things that don't matter but matter to us as wrestling fans. And uh, I'm going to let you lead the conversation right now, Mr. Gardner, because um, before we uh, hit record here, you let me know you had some interesting things you wanted to bring up, so the floor is yours. Okay, well, first of all... Um, <clears throat> Considering that this product is kind of muddled right now and very muddy in the water, um, I expected full-on, full force on the running off the porch episode, which is what I'd like to call the episode after pay-per-view, when you have the going-home episode at the the, the last show before pay-per-view. I think running out the front door or running off the porch is a really good idea for the the initial episode afterwards, setting up the next system or series of bouts for the next pay-per-view. With that being said, whatever term you like, I'm kind of curious to hear from our listeners and our fans out there what they think a good term is for the first show that is the reset. Um, So, you know, I I figured with as goofy as things are, are and with Vince so far out of his rocker that, um, the egg was stolen by Repo Man. I really figured, and maybe Mike Rotundo, even though they released Bray Wyatt, his son, was going to make a showing as IRS, like, you know, you didn't pay your taxes. And so he sends Repo Man to go repossess the egg. That would have been better than what they gave us. I mean, I would have taken it. Yeah. Now, a lot of people don't know this who haven't been listening to re- or watching wrestling for over 20 years like I have. But they ran an angle with a brilliant, brilliant um, manager, uh, James Vandenberg, also known as Father James Mitchell. Uh, he worked in both WCW, ECW, and uh, Impact. And he did a really terrible angle where he tried to cut a promo and make it serious, where he was managing, uh, I believe it was Mortis, uh, God Rest His Soul, which was Chris Canyon, where he said that Mortis was feuding with Glacier over this spirited skull that was worth $300,000 that they got in the underground Thai fit pipe, a uh, Thai 
Thai fighting pits of Malaysia. I can't even say it's straight faced. <laughs> and I'll never forget that day because I'm watching the promo. My dad was next to me on his computer and he goes, Oh, we should get a whole bunch of them then. We'd be millionaires. Flash forward, we have a whole show based around an egg that is nowhere near worth what they say. That isn't real. It's a movie prop. And we had a whole television program, a whole episode. That was nothing more than a version of a scramble for the 24-7 title, which made the 24-7 title actually have a featured bout. It, it's a mouthful. Yeah, now, I, I'm not trying to cut you off, but I do want to comment on that because that was probably the worst part of Raw. Now, I don't want to set the tone off the bat that we're going to sit here for however long we're here and just complain about the product. There's a lot to complain about. There's a lot not to like. Um, but we we are going to find some bright spots, I promise you. But starting off with this, it has to be started off with because it's so absurd. This whole premise that there's this egg, I actually thought it was going to lead to somehow The Rock took it. He's coming back you know, because they hinted at The Rock so heavily in the pay-per-view. It, 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 they didn't say explicitly he was there, so they didn't do false advertising. But it was as close as you can get where you know, if I was in Brooklyn, I would have been really pissed off that they did not deliver the rock to me with everything they were doing every 10 minutes. And um, so I was hoping as silly as it was, if it led to the rock coming back, I would have been like, fine, the means it was a means to an end. It may, fine. Let's do it. But the fact that it was just Austin theory who stole it, Vince rewarded him for stealing his quote unquote, hundred million dollar egg. Um, and then there was no payoff to it. Vince on camera doesn't look good anymore. And then the, the worst part about it was the 24-7 title single file line uh, just team that the squad that just circles around in the same spots and everybody's tearing up the same room for this egg. And I'm like, guys, there's like a hundred rooms in this place and everybody's just flipping over tables and, and destroying a singular room. It, it was just absolutely absurd. It was, it was just so strange. I mean, like, I don't know what the old man's thinking. And like you said, he doesn't look good. Look, when I was young, I worked at a funeral home when I was a teenager. Now, all I did was set it up for whatever um, basically calling hours they were going to have. And, um, and then afterwards, we'd tear it down, and that was it, you know? But I was a kid, and I made money. My, my at the time, best friend's uh, grandfather owned the place. So, hey, you know, cash in hand, whatever. Mm -hmm. I remember at one point seeing someone that was on my paper route as basically a person that we were setting up for. And the makeup and everything else, it reminded me of the way Vince looked with the puffy eyes. The makeup was way too much. It, it just – he is not healthy. The man is not healthy. I don't care what he thinks he's made of. I don't know if it's early onset dementia, but you can tell by the makeup alone that man is not healthy. Now, so that that adds to a lot of what is going on here and the releases and the mentality and thinking you can't get stuff out of certain people. But um, I want to jump into one thing, if you don't mind. Yep. Yep. Let's go straight to the best match of the night which was the main event. So, first of all, did you notice when Big E was cutting his promo backstage that he was kind of talking like Keith Lee? 
I knew there was something different and I couldn't put my finger on it, but that is a really smart observation. And I was thinking to myself, but there is something going on here with Big E. He sounds different. He's not being hokey and crazy and wacky and gyrating. What's he doing here? And I just never gave it more than a couple of seconds of thought. That's a good observation. Really smart. Yeah, he looked I mean he 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 looked more serious, which was cool. But he definitely, definitely was sounding like Keith Lee in his delivery. And I thought, okay, this could be paying tribute to someone who was released that maybe you were close with, or the fact that they picked up Keith only because they'd soured on Big E for a while, and then they came back to Big E, and they said, well, you know, we kind of like that weird promo style, so why don't you use it? Don't know. We'll see if it continues. But it wasn't until the end when he started repeating himself and got the big eyes again that we started seeing the old Big E. Um, And the other thing I was going to say, did you notice how many people were wearing yellow and black? That, That was a prominent color, but what's the connection? I don't know. And that's what I'm trying to figure out. Now, I know it was the anniversary of Eddie's passing, mm-hmm. but I don't remember Eddie wearing a lot of – I mean, he always had like the weird tribal kind of stuff on the sides of his tights. And he used to wear the Azteca stuff in WCW and ECW, but those were more like white and red. So I don't know. And that's one thing. Like, If anybody out there can do their research who's listening and tell us why you think there was so much – yellow and black featured on everybody's um, outfits, I'd really like to know. Now, the only other thing I can think is because they're going to more of a beyond PG product, I don't know what it is, that they want the colors to pop. Kind of like what they did with NXT 2.0. Or I thought it might have been an homage to the original NXT, like kind of like, we're sorry. Mm-hmm. So we're all going to wear yellow and black. That is my first thought when I'm thinking yellow and black. That's the first thing that comes to my mind color combination wise is the old NXT. It could have been. Um, it could have been an homage. I'm just but I'm wondering what why now? What what's the purpose of this? Is it just to everybody getting together as kind of an under the radar type of tribute to the previous NXT? I mean, if that's the case, maybe. You know, it's it's a I mean, it's just a thought, but um you know, it didn't come to my mind until I was like talking to you, thinking about it. It's like, okay, well, th- those were the NXT colors. Um, I just can't think, you know, unless the next city they go to is Pittsburgh. So it's like an alluding Steelers. thing. Steelers, yeah. yeah, but I don't think it is. I don't know. I, I didn't memorize the schedule. But I'm just thinking that for some reason there was a lot of yellow and black. Um, and it, it was just. I don't know. Too, it was just too much for me, but yeah, I, I definitely noticed that 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 Biggie was was talking like Keith Lee before his match. Now, getting into that match, if we can cover that real quick, I'd really like to. Go ahead. Okay, first of all, that was one of the most convoluted endings I've ever seen, and obviously, Theory Theory looked amazing. Okay, and that's one thing I'm going to say. I think he even had some yellow and black on him. Austin Theory looked amazing. Um, it sucks that he lost to the stomach cutter. Um, did you notice all the Sami Zayn oh, oh, oh chants over and over again? Yes. Is the man secretly over? 
for, I mean, I think I think that if given a chance, he could be a huge star. I just don't know what the reason is for him, him being held back. Um, and then every time he's in a match, he seemingly he seemingly loses it. He can't get a big victory. But I think Sammy, among especially the like a Brooklyn audience, or if he goes to one of the big markets, I think that there is a there is a much more organic support for Sami Zayn. Unless you, if you go to like a, a typical B town with you know, as WWE would say, like Knoxville or something like that. Probably not. But in these big markets, I think they respect Sami Zayn a lot more than most. I was going to say, the only thing that stuck out to, like, first of all, I thought Theory's work was great. And actually, he had really good chemistry with Big E. Um, this was a really good match. I mean, it wasn't pay-per-view worthy, but it was definitely main event for a Monday Night Raw, of course, you and I have discussed the fact that you shouldn't be defending the title on a Raw unless you have something really big to pop the ratings. You're going against something major with football, whatever else. Point is, though, Theory looked really, really good. He looked jacked. The only thing that was weird is, did you notice he had chest acne? I didn't. No, I didn't look that close. No. Uh, It's just something I noticed a long time ago, which is usually a sign of steroids. But they have the wellness policy, so maybe he just got chopped really hard in other matches, and he just had some redness that that kind of was retained. But um, if anybody's listening, and if you notice the same thing, just kind of interesting because he looks like he's put on about 15 pounds all in the upper body. Um, Even though I hate the fact that he's a combination of Tyler Breeze and The Miz, just let him be Austin Theory. (laughs) You develop his own character. This whole selfie thing's kind of go, but no, the match was great. Um, the spots were not over the top. Um, it's funny though because I remember when Theory was talking backstage, he was like, "I know I'm new to Raw." I'm like, "Didn't you get us through the pandemic?" <laughs> like, come on, man. Yeah, yeah it was Elena Vega and uh, Andrade. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. I don't know. I really liked the match. What was your thoughts? That was clear, easily the best wrestling match of the night. And yeah, yeah, they they've really over the last couple of weeks decided to say, "Hey, uh, let's push Austin Theory." I mean, it it seem, he seemingly has come out of nowhere like an RKO to just pop into our screens. He made a huge bang, a lot of noise at Survivor Series, going way deeper into the match than most people thought he would be. Um, at one point, thinking maybe he could actually win the whole thing. And then he gets a WWE championship match the very next night, putting him into a storyline with Vince McMahon on camera. I mean, that you talk about from basically obscurity into prominence. Now, let's see how long this lasts, because Vince McMahon is extremely fickle and he has a shiny new toy every other week. I mean, I remember when Umberto Carrillo was reportedly his new shiny toy and Umberto Carrillo was getting championship matches and then he just kind of went away. Um, you know, he's still on TV, of course, in, in Los Lotharios. But uh, I, I have my concerns that if you're an Austin Theory fan, this is going to be a long term push because of how fickle Vince McMahon is. You know, I'm just wondering how long he's going to be Austin Theory until he's just Theory. <laughs> yeah, when he loses his name, yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, you know, because Steve Austin will make an appearance. Well, we can't have two Austins. They'll get confused. Yes, because you could really confuse those two, yeah. you know? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> right. Um, so that was, that was like my across-the-board, like, weirdness. The fact that he was wrestling, he was doing well, he 
got lost in two different factions, got bumped back down to NXT, um, changed his look like two or three times, not majorly, but basically trunks and some, some other stuff. And then comes back, they allow him to speak because I don't remember him ever speaking before. No. And, you know, then working an angle with Vince McMahon, um, supposedly stealing a $100 million egg and then returning it, but everything's cool because that's something I would do. And um, and then the, the, the payoff was a loss to Big E, but it wasn't a sloppy loss. Big E, of course, he's going to win. Um, the chaos at ringside, it, it was a little much to me. Um, one person at ringside causing a loss is one thing, but why would Austin stop to watch two people get in a fight? Right. So the psychology behind that was really blown. Um, but yeah, it was, it was the best match. It was definitely the best best match of the night. Definitely. There's, I don't think there's any question about that. And really, the, this kind of a generally ho-hum raw is to be expected. As I was, we were speaking off the air that um, this is the time of year when it starts to kind of decline. There's usually the TLC pay-per-view in December. That's not happening this year. It's just the time of year where it's, you just get through December to start the new year because the second January hits the second that January 1st hits, obviously there's a pay-per-view that day, but more importantly to me and to most wrestling fans, it's on the road to WrestleMania. I know that it's not official official until the Royal rumble, but guys, we're only like five weeks away from the start of WrestleMania season. So if we can get, through the next five weeks, we'll see what they really have in store for us. Well, my thought process right now is because they've done away with TLC and they're ripping off New Japan's um, New Year's Dash with first day, that they're going to give a lot of people time off. So I anticipate a lot more ho-hum raws like this, and I anticipate um, – just pointless matches, weird stuff. And I think a lot of people are going to get time off. So you're not going to see your champions. I think they're going to try to go towards this rewarding the wrestlers kind of thing, or at least try to have that outlook or that, um, we're good to our people. We give them all December off and maybe a lot of review shows, which that's really going to hurt the ratings. But, uh, with that being said, I mean, if it gives the boys a month off, I know Randy could use it. He's, looking old but he's taking a lot fewer bumps and i guess maybe we'll move into that if uh if you're if you're cool with it is is uh randy orton and riddle and that whole silliness um that i i think most people enjoy but you're right orton is looking old but again nobody can escape the clutches of father time i think that father time no matter what vince mcmahon says does or believes um and maybe it's the tag team match that he defeated god in in 07 that is coming back to haunt him and god is uh is getting his revenge now we'll see but um i think that randy orton is he is he's aging and that's to be expected but he's still in incredible shape i mean he's he's and he he's able to take a lot fewer bumps being in a tag team with riddle because riddle's taking most of the bumps for him I ergo lengthening his career by taking the mileage off his body. Yeah, no, I get that. You know, like I've said, every, every show we've had for about six months, give Randy a break though. He can't hold up the world on his shoulders anymore. Even Atlas shrugged, you know, and, um, maybe this is their way of giving him a break. It's weird how they put the, the mustache goatee on him. 
I hated the whole thing. Like, why are we revisiting the Mizdow angle with them? Matt Riddle can legitimately tap out 75 to 80% of that roster. And instead, they just keep hyper exacerbating the or hyper extending the whole Rob Van Dam, I used to smoke weed angle. And this whole like, this. It, this was a difficult match for me to watch the way he acted, everything else, the fake mustache, the fake goatee, and then Randy putting it back on him. Something was lost a little 2% of my respect for Randy was lost. Okay. And I love Randy Orton. Um, now this match, uh, it wasn't bocce. It was just kind of ho-hum. I expected a lot more from the performers in this match. Um, I, I don't like the whole Dolph in the tousled pants thing. That just looked really weird to me. I don't know how long he's been doing that. Um, I guess I just really never noticed it, but I'm like, how many different pairs of tights is this guy going to wear in like a five year span? Um, and then he talked about, you know, like, uh, what let's see. I got my notes here. Yeah, what was what in the beginning? What was like Dolph just like out wrestling Matt Riddle? But then I realized that Dolph was a uh, a collegiate wrestler, so I I can deal with that considering Matt Riddle was a UFC fighter. Um, but it just seemed bad chemistry. That that's what this match was: bad, bad chemistry, um, and then bad commentary and the Jim Carrey style commentary on the match. So that's, that's kind of what I had notes on that one, but just changing Matt Riddle's look again. And then the, the whole revisiting the Ms. Dow thing. Why? You know, your thoughts. Well, I, the, I, it goes back to my original, just, just theory, no pun intended, but I, I think that it's when Vince sees comedy in anyone, anyone you look out i if i was around vince mcmahon i would never make him laugh ever because he will take that and make it your identity as a character and riddle i, I you know i think that honestly riddle and orton have good chemistry now the the shenanigans the sophomore shenanigans that they do on a weekly basis <clears throat> it's it's funny to some people it's not to others I'm kind of back and forth on it, depending on what they're doing. This week wasn't my favorite with him dressing up as Randy because you take somebody, like you said, like Riddle, who has real credentials, a, a guy that, I, I mean, honestly, he has a, a cardio tank that is endless. This guy is, I, I think, a future world champion. And right now he's with, with Matt, uh, Randy Orton. And if he's going to do comedy, at least it's with somebody that is – a legend in the business where Riddle is really making himself a career right now. Even if you and I don't like that type of comedy, the upside is once they decide to turn his character and at some point, I think they will because he's a future main eventer. He's already had that foundation of working with Randy Orton for X amount of months as tag team champions. So he'll have that to lean back on. And I think you're right though. This match coming back to raw with Dolph Ziggler, it, it was surprising that it wasn't a great match uh, from a chemistry standpoint because Dolph Ziggler is, I mean, he, you know, he, you know what you're going to get with him. He is so smooth in the ring generally, and he can work with anybody that is kind of surprising that you have these two go at it. And it was like, it was okay. It's, it's just, it is weird. 
Yeah. And I don't know. I, I really just had higher expectations. Um, what, what gets me though, is like this Randy and Matt Riddle thing. I, I feel like, like you said, it's, it's a break for Randy to elongate his career. And I'm going to give him so many props because like I said, I'm a fan, but I'm not like Uber fan. All right. But I'm a huge fan, and the fact that he has been doing this as long as he has, and unless it's an injury, something torn, whatever else, he doesn't take breaks. And like I said, he can't hold up the world on his back. So maybe this is their way of saying, okay, we'll elongate it, and this is our way of putting a little bit of a spotlight on Matt Riddle. And now they're they're really trying to sprinkle the believability dust on it that no one's going to turn on anybody. That's what's really happening with this. And maybe, maybe Randy does have an injury, a minor one or something like that. So they have to extend this a little bit longer. But the fact is, I mean, it's, it's coming to a point where I'm starting to say, okay, maybe these guys will be together another year. Maybe. And then when we have the turn, which we all know there's going to be one at some point, unless something else happens and say there's a legitimate injury and and one goes out, um, it, it just looks like, it just looks like it, it's it. Uh, we're buying into this a lot more. I'm buying into this a lot more that they actually work as a dysfunctional family tag team. So they they're doing something long term with it, obviously, and they're. I'm hoping there's a payoff. I'm hoping that there's a reason behind everything. Well, well, yeah, there and I there has to be like teams in general. Ninety nine percent of the time are not the end factions are not built to to stay. They're built to break up to create single stars. Unless your name is part of the new day, which is really unfortunate. They haven't broken them up. Um, I, I think that generally groups and teams are made to break up. So yeah, I think the most obvious answer here is that this leads into a WrestleMania match with these two. Maybe Riddle's the one that turns heel. Everybody thinks Orton's going to hit an RKO out of nowhere. Oh, Randy's heel again. But maybe they try to go the other way. So that I guess that's my final question to you, and then we'll move on. Uh, is do you think that when this turn happens? Is it Riddle that actually turns on Orton, or do you think it's Orton that turns on Riddle? I mean, it's it's been predestined in history that Orton can't keep a polarity, and he's a natural heel. Now, for him to play the babyface to a heel Matt Riddle would be an interesting storyline because it's something we haven't seen, and um, it's it's something. I, honestly, I think that'd be the best way to go. You couldn't book it any better. But then again, you have to look at how do you book it. Does Matt Riddle say that he's played our intelligence the whole time? That's the best way to go. You guys thought I was a bro and I was always high. And then he's got to cut the most scathing promo. Those writers are going to have to write him the best promo where he just takes it serious. And the thing is, I've watched his work in PWG and a lot of other indies. And while he was always kind of laid back like that, it wasn't like this. I mean, this is like Rob Van Dam tuned up to 10. And um, so a lot of people who aren't familiar with him won't know what he can do when he cuts a promo when he's just himself. But he's still always been that that kind of laid back guy. So I need to see something really special out of him, something really magical and moving and mind blowing as far as a promo goes when he turns. I have to buy it. I can't just be like, oh, he got a bad strain of Chiba 
you know, <laughs> I got to see something, you know, to, to make me sink my teeth into it, you know, put a little sizzle on the steak. And, um, and then we might actually have a, a, a better program than, than the Randy turn. I think it, it could really, really work as long as the writers don't screw it up and just keep going with the stoner angle. I, it, it could really work. And it, honestly, it could work another year. It really could. Oh, they could. They could stretch this if they want, and I think that Riddle, if I if I was in charge of this, I would have Riddle turn because, like you said, get this, squeeze all the juice out of this that they can, sell all the merchandise that they can. If they're making bank on the merchandise, yeah, stick with it for a little while. I mean, this is a for-profit organization. I get it. And so if I was Riddle or if I was creative, yeah, I'd have Riddle turn and then say that, you know, for the longest time, Randy, you've you know, you've just taken me as a, you know, uh, I've been in your shadow. You haven't been taken me seriously. I've been disrespected at every turn. You RKO'd me at one point, and I forgave you for that. Like, there's so much he could do to just flip to say, you know, this is who I really am. You know, I was using you. There's a way to do it. And we've seen Randy Orton's heel so many times, and it is so predictable that a heel turn from Riddle, I think, would be more fun, even though I do understand Orton is a better heel, and I get that, and Orton prefers to be heel. But um, uh, all right, let's move on. And before I do that, uh, I'm getting a little feedback from your phone. I don't know if the volume is too far, too, um, too high up on, my, on your end. Um, that's much better. So Becky Lynch, I want to talk about her promo. Because her in-ring promo, I think, was – I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was A+. And nobody came out to interrupt her, which is always interesting when somebody cuts a promo and no one comes out to interrupt. But I'm fine with that. It doesn't always have to happen. She came out and uh, to, to you know a lot of cheers. The, the, Brooklyn, the, Bro- really, the Brooklyn cloud really loved her. And I think that – you know, their heel turn of Becky Lynch has been really just lukewarm. I don't understand exactly where they're going because one minute she's a heel, one minute she's a baby face, but the fans still cheer her. Then the Becky will say kind of a backhanded compliment to the crowd. They'll boo her. But then the next event, they're back to cheering her. It's so weird of what they've done with Becky Lynch. I can't I can't identify what she is because she's she's just kind of like an in-between, and I do not like in-between. Uh, and so anyway, her promo was kind of pointing at the fans about some real stuff that we complain about, like how, oh, uh, you guys like new. Oh, you always love new, don't you? You love new. And she'll, she ran down Liv Morgan. She ran down um, Charlotte Flair, of course, after her victory over her at Survivor Series. She said she had a death grip on the Raw Women's Championship. Um, and so I, I honestly, I, I enjoyed this promo. I felt like there was a, there was a lot of real stuff that she said that you normally don't hear from wrestlers. And so I think this was good. Liv Morgan is obviously next up in the batter's box to face Lynch of which nobody believes that she'll win. And even Becky said that, which was kind of funny. Um, but what did you think about this promo? Did you enjoy it? Or maybe you're on the opposite end. No, actually, this is what I have for my notes. So first of all, Becky comes out, she starts talking, and either Graves or Saxton said, she shot on Charlotte Flair, like trying to use that inside lingo, you know. And, and then Becky's new promo is what I had. 50-50, if it was not scripted, it could have been a hell of a lot better. And then I wrote, the the, the running down of Liv Morgan, um, Gains just positive, 
positive momentum for Liv Morgan. The thing is, Liv Morgan is nowhere near the in-ring talent that Becky Lynch is. We all know it. So she doesn't have a prayer to win that title, at least not now. But then again, with Vince the way he is, he might go back to leggy, beautiful women. And then why have Bianca out on the next segment but not interrupt on her own behalf? That made no sense to me. So she's going to be up to wrestle next. Which So in your mind as a fan, you would think that she's on cue and she's ready to wrestle and she hears her own name being degraded and run down and she doesn't come out to say anything. Instead, she comes out next twirling her hair. Yeah. Yeah. It made no sense to me. So, you know, I, I think it's kind of like when, when Becky said, I'm the man. And it just kind of changed everything. And they gave her a little creative rights. She had all the momentum. She had momentum. She did say what she wanted to say. And she did tell the truth. But the fact is, I could see 100% it was scripted for her. And she had to save lines. That's what I felt about that promo. Um, as far as poor Liv Morgan goes, she's like two years away from wearing gold. I could be wrong. But her in-ring, I mean, I, I can rattle off six or seven wrestlers who are better than her. And that's, I mean, Dana Brooke is actually a better in-ring performer who constantly looks more and more physically altered. Um, I mean, Natalia is a better wrestler. I mean, there's so many people who are better wrestlers. You might have the momentum, but there's there's a certain effect with with the men, they can try to push it through the moon and try to cover it up and use Kevin Dunn's magic in the back truck to try to, you know, edit everything else. With the women, they don't care as much. And Liv Morgan could be part of the next round of releases if things don't go her way and she doesn't get over the right way. So I don't I don't really see her in the long run right now. I don't really see um her as a main event player right now. I see her as someone who's getting a mini push to te- kind of test the waters and uh, see if she can sink or swim. That's exactly the analogy I used in one of my shows, I think last week and um, on Survivor Series review show is like Liv Morgan right now. What they're doing is right now, as you just said, they are not going to make her champion, nor do I think she's even ready to be champion, even though many of us believe, oh, she's been underutilized, forgotten, she hasn't gotten an opportunity, all, on and on and on, all the things you hear about Liv. But I think if WWE is smart, and it seems like right now they seem to be a little bit with uh, Liv, is kind of testing things where the fans are with Liv. Do they believe and will they stick with her when she gets screwed out of the championship? Do they react in a way that starts a, like some kind of movement like with Daniel Bryan where the fans force Vince's hand to a place where they have to continue to push live? And so to me, you're right. This is an experiment. This is an experiment to see if the fans truly get behind live and this this movement for live is real or if it's just kind of a flash in the pan, yeah, we thought we wanted to live in this in this uh, in this spot, but we don't really. And it, the fans are really going to be the ones who drives this. And I believe that WWE is relying on the fans to see where they want her to be. So the fans really have all the power in this one, I believe. It it, it, it comes down to momentum. It really does come come down to momentum. I mean, if if people keep believing in live, 
and they keep following her and everything else. It's going to be great. But I tell you what, she goes out there. If they main event something or, you know, if it's the females main event, whatever you want to call it. And the match is botchy, way too scripted, whatever. It's, it's over. It's over that she has one shot. I am telling you one shot. And then it's back to 24, seven chasing. And then maybe the next round of releases. Yeah, that it's very possible. Nobody's safe unless you're in that top tier uh, of of elites that um, are like Roman and Seth, and and maybe even Drew McIntyre. Unless you're in that category, I, I really would not feel safe. My I would not have any job security in that in that place right now. So, um, okay, let's uh, let's continue down the line here. Bianca Belair defeats Tamina via pinfall. She hit the KOD, um, and then after the match, Dewdrop attacked Belair and hit her with the seated crossbody and walked off arm in arm with Tamina and Natalia. So Bianca Belair in a much different program than normal with Dewdrop, who has turned heel. Um, it's amazing that she's actually kept her name Dewdrop instead of you know maybe Piper Niven or something else. Um, to me, dewdrop is an extremely kind of derogatory term, and I, they wouldn't say that because of the way they spell it. But we all know what a dewdrop looks like. And if you're, if someone was to tell me, oh, it's nothing to do with her body type, nonsense. Of course it does. That's exactly why they named her the way yeah. they did, which again is super derogatory, and they'll deny it until the, the cows come home. But anyway, uh, I actually do enjoy Bianca Belair in this program with dewdrop. It's not the end all be all. Oh my god, it's the best thing ever. But it feels different for Bianca, and it's a different obstacle for her over her to overcome. And ultimately, seeing her hit the KOD on a dewdrop is going to be a lot of fun because I do think Bianca has the strength to do it, and I think the fans are going to pop like crazy when she finally does it at a pay per view, probably at day one uh, on January first. But overall, look, I mean, this match was it is what it is. Tamina never knocks her socks off. Uh, she's kind of in and out of relevancy, and uh, Bianca Belair been, we, uh, beating Tamina is no shock. But what do you think about uh, not just this match, but Dewdrop and Bianca Belair? Well, first of all, it tells you Bianca is being taken down a peg. Um, I I had said it a while ago when I was on the show with you that I got tired of seeing her because I thought she was overexposed. They got on that that Montez Ford. Um, Bianca Belair train like a long time ago and it was just overexposure, overexposure, overexposure. She was on every show. She was on two segments a day and I was like, people are going to get sick of this. You, you want her one segment and a promo. That's it. Keep it short and sweet. Keep it to 12 minutes a night. Mm -hmm. And the problem is it wasn't that at all. And, um, I think that's why Vince soured on it. That's why I soured on it. It's not that she's a bad performer but like the whole thing with having your name sullied and then you're the next person to come out for a match it's silly to me why don't you come out and interrupt why don't you say something and then stand your ground and then you know somebody separates it so you know that she's still a top game performer but now she's got to work this program with dewdrop dewdrop like you said come on we're not stupid just like i'm sure now that i mentioned it you noticed bianco's info uh yeah her yeah her intro graphic was I right about what it looks like? Intro graphic. Oh, am I? Does that have to do with her hair? Or yeah, the lips of the hair. Yep. The, the little, was I right? I mean, I you could interpret it that way. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. no, I mean, I, I do think that there's some kind of weird Weasley, <clears throat> Vince Russo person saying terrible things backstage and and 
some writer having fun and somebody in the back truck having fun with infographics and stuff like that. Um, but so with Bianca, obviously her, her speech was really, really written. We can tell it was scripted, it, but it, it also makes you look like, is she a face or is she a heel? She's not quite 50, 50, but the way she cuts a promo, it's supposed to be face, but there are some definite heel moments in it you know like i'm the best i'm this i'm that i'm you know repeating always that you're the best is not always the baby face thing to do um but just being knocked down to this program is such a, a blow to the ego after what she's done in the last six months to a year you know it, all, it was supposed to be bianca 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 and it, it looks like all right, let's cool the jets. And I think part of this is the fact that they realized that they overexposed her. So now let's take it down. We'll work it with Dewdrop, and then we'll work it now with Natalia because we've already beaten Tamina a couple times and try to gain that momentum back and get it more organic than it was before. Because before it was organic, but it just seemed forced organic. Um, so what I'd like to see is, yeah, I mean, go through the trifecta of the women. And then maybe have another feud with another lower tier woman before you get back into that challenging because the whole Charlotte Becky, if it was really real thing in the back was hot. And I mean, if it was real, that's what's hot. And that's what people are talking about. And the fact that Zelita Vega is finally wrestling and people can see what she can do. And it's not like winning the queen of the ring is prestigious because it's never really happened before. But people are seeing how well she can actually really wrestle. That takes you down a peg. Um, I mean, how long's what's what's up with Becky or not Becky, but uh, Bailey? She's we haven't seen her in forever. I haven't injured. Yep. Yeah. So you know when she comes back, she's going to be hot because if you're injured, you always get a babyface return. So there's so much prime time talent at the top that Bianca can't really squeeze in and she was only there for a cup of coffee. So let's, let's build it. Let's, let's do a, a good underdog. Let's do a good, um, let's give her some backstory. I hope that's what they're doing. And if they do, then she's going to be hot as Hades and coming out there like fire. So, and Bianca, you know, you're right. They have taken her down, but I think that's the best thing you can do when you want to build them back up because they can't consistently be at the top. It's very difficult for fans to continuously engage with you on a very high level where you're consistently in a title picture, consistently holding a championship. I mean, look what happened with Drew McIntyre being insanely overexposed to the point where fans were just about to turn on him before they brought him down out of the title picture. He was in and out of the title picture for like 18 months and fans started to resent it. It became very repetitive. It was the same promos from Drew. He was in the same positions. It's like, okay, cool. We love you, Drew, but can you move on? And so I think with Bianca, maybe they're getting ahead of it right now and and not allowing something like that to happen where the fans start to resent a character even if they're beloved in a top position all the time so i think while she is quote-unquote down a peg or two this is really good for her to to as you said cool her jets and to just take a breath evaluate where you are get out of the minds of fans in terms of always at the top and when they're ready, presumably around Royal Rumble time, I would think she'll probably make some noise in the Royal Rumble again. Maybe she'll win it for the second year in a row. We'll see. Uh, but 
that's when I would start to build her back up. I mean, the, and so the this being what it is right now for Bianca is fine with me because it is a setup, I think, for a much bigger push coming, you know, come January. And switching gears, though, as you talked about uh, Zelina in the Women's Tag Team Championship match, which, by the way, I mean, I think this is the first time the Women's Tag Team Champions um, Championship has been defended in, like, months simply because they didn't have a division. So um, having Carmella... Uh, and Zelina defeat Nikki and Rhea. The reason the championship match happened is simply by Carmella and Zelina existing as a tag team, they earned a championship opportunity because there is nobody else in the division. There is and are no other tag teams in the women's division. So they just had to exist to get a championship match. And Carmella and Zelina ended up beating Nikki and Rhea for the women's tag team championship. So uh, go ahead and uh, talk about that. Well, first of all, I did like the promo, but I hate the fake. Uh, you know this. I hate the <laughs> accent. Fake, the, the the fake king and queen accents. Like, just yeah. do away. It's so stupid. You're not royalty, okay? Um. So people are finally getting to see what Zelina can do, which is amazing. Um, I love this match for Zelina only, um, and I loved it for Rhea going probably and hopefully singles only. First of all, is it me or is Rhea, uh, Rhea getting even bigger? Uh, I mean, I, she I, looks bigger than she was. Like, she's looking strong. I think also being in the ring with Zelina and Nikki, who are naturally yeah, yeah. half her size, makes her look bigger. But, yeah. But no, she she just looks bigger. Like, she not taller, but just, like, stronger and stockier. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't mess with her. Um she looked like a destroyer in this match, uh, as far as, as Rhea goes. She looks great. She was doing great work. Zelina was doing great work. Nikki actually wasn't doing bad work. Of course, Carmella is going to be your weak one, but that kick that she did to Nikki's head that wound up getting a pin, that was really nice. Um, I kind of like the whole Carmella putting on the mask because she's the prettiest girl. And, of course, Graves has to put it over because everybody knows that they're, they're a thing. But it's... I mean, it's something we'd see in the 80s. But the fact that, you know, the tag titles have changed. We put some gold on Zelina. She's already won Queen of the Ring. So how much momentum does she have? I also had in my notes that um, when we had Nikki and Zelina in the ring, we had the Battle of the Five-Foot-Talls. Um, and then I found this really interesting. And this is going to be some history that we can look back on. And if anyone wants to prove me wrong, which they probably can't, we're going to go with this. So Zelina uses the code red for a finisher. Now, do you know where the code red came from? Uh, I think you told me this one time. Canadian destroy. Isn't it like a, it's uh, kind of, it's, it's different. It's like a reverse Canadian destroyer. It came from a wrestler named amazing red. He never wrestled for the WWE. Okay. But here's something very, very interesting about it, okay? Rey Mysterio wanted to use it once. So he asked Amazing Red if he could use it. Amazing Red said yes. In return, Rey Mysterio sent him a pair of his uh, custom-made pants that, that Amazing Red really liked because they're about the same height, same build, okay? Now, usually, if you use a move from somewhere else, they rename it. Henceforth, the Scorpion Deathlock became the Sharpshooter. So it's really odd that 
they'll they'll call it the code red, like with no problem. It's really, really strange to me that they kind of just lifted it for that one. And um, it was used back in early 2000s. But because it's such a cool move, any kind of indie cool move or what they considered minor league cool move, any guy did, they would give to the women to make it look weak for men to use in the indies. And it looks like Vince is going back to that mindset, but it was just so crazy that they still call it the code red. I don't know the motivation behind that. I don't know why they decided to, to, to stick with that instead of repackaging and renaming the move. I, I don't have an answer. If you're, if you're looking for one, I don't know. Um, but at least no, that, that's, I, I do appreciate the origin of that, but I don't have an answer as to why they didn't rename this one. They like to always put their own spin and own name on things. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I I, I think it's one of those deals where, like, uh, it came into prominence towards the end of the Attitude Era, beginning of the, you know, ruthless aggression. So they were still, like, kind of acknowledging other, you know, wrestling destinations and stuff like that. So I figure, and now that Amazing Red is basically retired and he's a teacher, maybe makes, like, a one-shot here and there. It's okay to mention it. I don't know, but that's it, it. Kind of blows my mind that they'll still call it the code red, and uh, but it looked great. Okay, so let's get back to that. It looked great. The match was it really wasn't that bad for what I expected. I expected a little bit more. I don't want to say slop, but it just didn't. I don't feel like these four women, women would have chemistry. Rhea looked so good in that ring, and uh, the reversal of. What was it? The head scissors into the DDT. Oh, the spike DDT, yeah. Oh, that was amazing. Mm. Great spot. Great spot. And like I said, even Carmella's kick to Nikki's head, I believed she could have knocked her out. It just looked right. Maybe they just caught the right camera angle. Um, of course, Carmella's building heat with the, her mask and everything else. And it's a god-awful ugly mask. But that's the point because she's so beautiful. So I like what they're doing with it. It's they're they're having fun. Of course, it's not going to last because they're going to split them up. But the two people who win out of this is Zelina, obviously, because I see I, I think that they're starting to see that she is really talented. And I think they had to cool the jets on Rhea because they didn't know what to do with her. And I think that was just more the writers and not the Bianca effect. I honestly think it was more them trying to push Bianca over her that they figured out, oh, wow, we might have pushed the wrong one. One had one had major crowd following, but the other one's an incredible performer. They're both really good, but I think Rhea's a lot better. And um, so I think they're redefining their women's division. And I'm wondering myself if they have a new producer for the women's division. And I know that like Molly Holly had tried out backstage, but nobody had ever heard if she got hired or fired or whatever else. Um, I know that that Finley worked with it for a long time. And I, I'm just wondering if they have a new producer who's like saying, okay, let's go in a new direction. Let's actually build something. And they might be doing that. And I think that's kind of the spin that they're putting on this right now. I hope so because the women's tag team division, if you're not going to do anything with it and you have no teams there, why why do you even have a championship? I mean, right now there are two teams in the women's tag team division. 
I challenge anybody to find another one on the main roster. I, I don't know. I mean, they've broken up everybody that it was there. Hit Row doesn't exist, or they're, they're they're not a team as far. There was one woman on BFAB or whatever, but um, they broke up the uh, Shotzi Blackheart team. They broke up. Obviously, yep. the Iconics are gone. I mean, they they've taken and dissolved every tag team that existed. Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler are gone. You know, so um, I just have a problem with them having a championship of which there are no contenders to compete for. So um, let's, let's move on though. I agree though about Zelina, huge fan, huge fan of Zelina Vega. I've always been a big fan of Zelina Vega and I think her best days are still ahead as, as women's champion. I really believe that. So um, all right, let's uh, get to, let's see, what are we talking about here? Let's talk about something else. I, I did enjoy, although it wasn't really a match. It was Seth Rollins and Finn Balor. This clearly was a setup to, their match presumably at day one they've got four other shows now to fill before day one four other weeks to fill um and so i think this was a setup for that match considering this match didn't take place and that rollins just attacked balor um and it was he was left laying and rollins gave him a couple of stomps Uh, again not a matchup but do you like this pairing of seth and finn it's nothing new i mean we've seen this in the past but what did you think about this setup well, it's different. I liked it. Um, I think it can have a lot of legs. I think that they gave us the side dishes. Now we're waiting for the entree. And what's really awesome is that what's really awesome is that these two guys are two of the best performers they have. So a major blow off is going to be something really bigger. The only thing that sucks is that they kind of wrote Seth into the main event later on that night, which means if they're just going to leave this by the wayside and it's a one-time shot, then we all got screwed on something that could be really, really great. Now, here's my thing. How did Seth go from Jim Jones, uh, Jim Jones from cult history to the stork from Animal House in, in just a year? <laughs> Didn't you notice that? <laughs> I mean, yeah. His look, everything. His promos are, his promos are over the top. They they were really like. I get the fact that if he follows their script to a T, and overacts the way they do, Jim Carrey style, that you hate his promos. But you can't disagree that that Seth is just so amazing in the ring. And then you have Balor, who's Balor. He's just amazing. And we don't get a match. Instead, we get, you know, a weird, goofy fight, which that's that's going to be a blow off because I, I see Seth being the next challenger for Big E and then Balor being the one to interrupt it. Um, and then Kevin Owens getting into it and then maybe a fatal four way. Please, no, just that's we don't know what to do. So I we'll make it a fatal. Four-way. Just going to say that. <clears throat> OK. Uh, of course. OK, so Balor came out in his Fonzie look with the, the, the leather, you know, and uh uh, then there was Holy S chance, um, and Seth was sit standing in the middle of the ring looking like Aquaman. And then I didn't know if they were killing off Balor for being smaller or whatever, but he he definitely got like pretty buried in that little little fight there. And then the one of the egg stomps looked pretty god awful, or head stomps, excuse me, looked god awful. The I, you know, there's one other thing that that got me about this. You heard about the extracurricular afterwards, right? 
uh, educate me. Oh, you didn't hear about this? This is amazing. So, oh, the, a fan. There was a, some yes, some fan Seth jumped Rollins, the barricade and Seth. attacked Rollins. I, I did hear. I didn't see. Oh, yeah. So there was a little part of it you had to really catch. The editing was really fast. Now, I watched everything on Sling, okay? But basically, uh, so Edge is walking up, you know, kind of doing his heel thing, and a fan jumps over, and I guess they got in a little bit of a scuffle, now, on the sling version I watched, which is pretty much live, like you saw it, and then the commentary said something about it real quick, and then they stopped. And then they panned back to Rollins, and he's got a bloody lip. And then he walks away. And then I find out the news uh, spreadsheets say that, yeah, it, it was just a crazy fan. And they brought, like, a lawsuit against him. Now that's good heat. That's real heat right there. That's that's good old NWA mid eighties heat. That's that's the you know Nikita Koloff trying to get out of the place after he beat Magnum TA half to death kind of heat, you know, like you better leave out the back after midnight. We're gonna leave the door open for you. There's gonna be a car running. I mean, that's that kind of heat. That's I didn't think people actually had that kind of heat anymore. That is pretty awesome. Now the character of Rollins, like I said, right now he needs he needs to tune it up back to the Messiah, and not the Monday Night Word, just the Messiah, the the dancing kind of the the half boa, and then coming out later in the it looked like a bathrobe, <laughs> you know, bathrobe over clothes kind of thing, um, which I think was backhanded politics towards Ric Flair when. Um, Becky was saying stuff about, you know, Charlotte, ask your dad, this and that. Like, it, it was kind of like a knockoff kind of thing. I think it could have been if there's real heat there. But, you know, what I'm saying is this was interesting because I don't know where it's going to go. And if Seth Rollins is being injected into the main event right now, I have no idea what they're going to do with Finn Balor. They need to continue this. They need to have a good series of matches, a good big blow off. I would actually have Seth keep going crazy and like psycho attacking him over and over again and then keep showing up for the main event. And then if Seth ends up winning the title, then Balor comes back and defeats him. And then you could actually use an event, uh, an attraction match like a street fight because it was always a fight before. That is the way I'd book that. And you're never going to get a bad match with Finn and Seth. It's physically no. impossible to, with these two professionals who are elite wrestlers, performers in this profession, in pro wrestling today. I would, I would challenge that across really any promotion. Are they the best of the best of the best? I mean, that's all sub, uh, of course, sub, uh, subjective. But in WWE land, they are in the elite category of uh, performers, and so I'm not worried ever. No one should ever be worried about the quality of their matchups. And I don't think we are here. It's just about story here and babyface and heel, which are clearly defined right now. I like that. And I, you're right about the fatal four way when you were talking about it and I'm thinking about it and I'm like, well, they could be Seth versus Finn all the way up to new uh, day one and January 1st, or they could decide to just lump them all into a fatal four way and have uh, Seth Rollins capture the WWE championship there by pinning like 
Kevin Owens or somebody that's not named Big E to protect Big E. To get the belt off him makes Seth champion, but not hurting Big E in the process. That's very possible as well. And uh, you're right about the fan attacking uh, Seth in terms of heat. I do wonder, though, if it, is it true heat that motivated the man? Was it some kind of mental illness? Was it him being overserved? I mean, there, there are a multitude of potential factors as to why he attacked Seth. Um, you know, I don't know the answer to that, um, you know, but if it's true heel heat and the guy just really hates Seth Rollins, that to me, that's the best answer I could have. I mean, I would be like, OK, if I was, you know, the 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 uh, the the D.A. or whoever is taking up this case, I would be like, well, what's the motivator? Right. Did he truly hate Seth Rollins? And the, if the answer is yes, I'd be like, you're free to go. You know, like I'd be like, OK, that that's that's good. That's a true pro wrestling fan right there. You know, but uh, of course, I'm I'm joking, but. I, I do believe that um, Seth and Finn are destined to have a series of matches. Does it does it delineate itself from the WWE Championship picture, or is it is it its own program? That remains to be seen. I do fear that it's going to be a fatal four way, like you said. Though, um, any final thoughts before we get to the next topic? Well, the best way to push it forward and to elongate this feud is that you have a fatal four way, and it's Finn that gets pinned. Yeah, and, and they're and then, they're not shy about having Finn lose matches lately. So yes, yeah, and then then we build it to every time they see each other, they just brawl, they just brawl, they fight until we actually have a main event that means something. If you have a street fight instead of just an extreme rule street fight, you know, when everything's extreme that night or something like that, it would mean a lot more. And then we could have a blow off that we like, and then. You know what I'd like with a match like that? If they wrestled more in the ring and used a lot less furniture. For the, to me, yes, because these two don't need it. And that type of stuff, when when they have, not all, all the time, of course, but a lot of times when they have performers in the ring that aren't great from a technical perspective and wouldn't put on a quote-unquote five-star match by today's standards, they'll bring in those extracurricular things like weapons and things because it's a crutch. And another thing that you could do to cover the weaknesses of those two performers inside the ring. I mean, look what they did with Bobby Lashley and Goldberg at SummerSlam. They made it a no DQ match because that way Goldberg didn't have to be exposed, although we all know what his weaknesses are, but he didn't have to be exposed and completely embarrassed on TV when people saw like, oh, well, he has about, you know, three moves in his arsenal and he was allowed to just, you know, use weapons and go through tables. Of course, that's a nice little deodorant for his inability to really have a true wrestling match. So, uh, all right. Well, I want to move on, though. AJ Styles and Omos, or Omos, pick your pronunciation, as I always say, because it's, it's, really, it's really impossible to decide. Omos, or, or Omos, however you pronounce it, should just come on air and say, it's Omos, right? And just stop all the debate. But uh, AJ Styles and Omos defeat the Street Profits via disqualification after the Street Profits sprayed both opponents with a fire extinguisher. So I, I really don't have a, a ton here other than that AJ and Omos are still a team. Uh, and I, we've all been waiting for AJ to go off on his own, have one maybe last good run before he calls it a career. But it's been all about building Omos. It's been all about building him. He eliminated eight people in the battle royal. He's yet to leave his feet, much less take a finisher or lose a match. Uh, they are clearly all in on on him. But um, what do you, what do you make of I guess this quote unquote match that they had with the Street Profits that ended in a disqualification because of a fire extinguisher? Well, first of all, um, how babyface is it for you to bring a weapon 
and how babyface is it for you to use the weapon like premeditated you know this is this is this would not stand up in court so um my thoughts about about the whole thing is that this this was this was throwaway it's trying to protect both teams um but the only person protected is omos because aj does the wrestling omos does the power um profits I mean, you get your standard straight profit match stuff. But the fact is that you're trying to build this new Titan, you know, this new release the Kraken kind of guy. I'm sorry, man. The second movie I ever saw was Clash of the Titans, the 80s. And uh, all the Harry Hamlin you could handle. And um, so we know what the build is. So it's throwaway. But it's, okay, well, how do we keep them you know, protected, but it doesn't look good for their characters to bring out a weapon to begin with. And I had wrote in my notes, I was like, what's in the bag? Is it Rowan spider? Um, oh God, Rowan spider. That would have been the best. And then you find out this is afraid of spiders or something. Like <laughs> He's got arachnophobia. Yeah. <laughs> it would have just been awesome. Um, so for the one, one thing I hated was, what was it? It's right here. That I think it was Graves or Saxton, one of the two god awfuls, was like, "Look at the hops on uh, uh, Montez Ford," and I was like, "Did you ever see AJ Styles' catalog of wrestling?" And you talk about his hops. It's like he he has the same match every time. AJ has done a million matches, and he's made them different against a million different opponents, but they can't talk about that kind of things. You know, it's just, I know what's fed into their ears. Um, so really they, they've got so much stock in him. And I don't understand why they have so much more stock in him than they did Braun Strowman. I mean, they gave Braun Strowman choo-choo train sounds. So, you know, until Omos, like I'm wondering what sounds he's going to get. It's, it's really like, curious to me. Um, the guy still doesn't have proper wrestling gear, which I'm wondering what it, is going to initially translate into. And my other thought on that is if you're hiding a guy's body that much, either you're wanting him to get jacked or you don't know what to put him in because his body is just so oddly misshapen, which could be something like, look at Kurgan. His body was really misshapen, but he was huge. Um, so it was, it was just, it was, it was slop. It was, it was throwaway. It was a bathroom match. Um, Basically, I, I just thought it was really weird that they made the profits cheat right off the front. I mean, okay, you're you're going against the Titan, but if one of these guys is supposed to be like a future main eventer, like they build it, which I don't think is going to happen, um, I, I I honestly think the profits are on a downslide at this point. I think in Vince's eyes, this is a protection match, but I wouldn't be surprised if they drop a match or two in the next couple weeks. The Street Profits have been out of the conversation for the tag titles for quite some time, just doing kind of hokey stuff. And they look, I, won't, I don't want to put anything 
past Montez Ford, who was clearly the star of that group. He's clearly the one that when this team breaks up is going to be that next star. And he, I think he is down the line, not anytime soon, but I think he is a future WWE champion. I really do believe Montez Ford is down the line. Uh, I don't think Angelo Dawkins is. I think Angelo Dawkins is a step or two below him. Uh, just from a magnetic standpoint, uh, in, in, you know, promo ability, in-ring ability, likability. I think Montez Ford has a little bit more going for him than does um, uh, than does uh, his tag team partner. But this match, yeah, th- there's not much to say about this. This was just uh, like you said, kind of a bathroom break, and that's crazy to say a bathroom break and AJ Styles in the same sentence. It's it's kind of it sucks to say that, um, but it, this was is exactly what it was. And um, I, I, let's just move on. Uh, not to anything better, but uh, the 24 seven championship of Shelton Benjamin defeating Reggie to win the championship, but then Dana Brooke won the 24-7 championship after she pinned Cedric and then cut a promo after saying that, you know, her her saying after her win that she knows that she has a target on her back now. Uh, I, I mean, I don't... I, I mean, I, I believe you're on the same page as I am when it comes to the 24-7 championship. It's beyond its shelf life. I know there's some people out there listening and listeners of this show that somehow enjoy the 24-7 championship, maybe for the the comedy attempt. And I, I don't even say comedy. I say attempt at comedy. I, I, I've got nothing to say about this championship. Okay. Here's what I'm going to say. First of all, it's the 24-7 championship, which means it's defended 24-7, but we had a sanctified match where it could not be messed with. Okay, now let's all digest that. My second note here is I found out that Grease was on on another channel, and I felt sad because I couldn't watch it because I was watching wrestling because I'm a big fan of the movie Grease. And instead, I was watching the 24-7 championship. <laughs> Next thing is poor Cedric. Why keep burying him? Um, and then all of a sudden... We have Dana winning it, and then no guy will touch a woman all of a sudden as far as to roll her up because they didn't know what to do. You can gingerly yeah. roll up a woman and win. How much has Dana changed? By, oh, from appearance? Oh, my God. Uh, a lot. And, look, I'm not trying to body shame anybody. I mean, Jim Cornette took her to task. I mean, some of the comments he made about Dana Brooke and she was not happy about it. And, you know, look, everyone can do what they want with their own body. If she's got the money to do it, to alter herself, to make herself happier or more comfortable in her body, you know, that's a, I don't care what she does. But from the outsider looking in, when I from somebody that's had no work done and most people have not had work done, it doesn't look natural. I'll just put that very nicely, as nicely as I can. It just doesn't look natural with Dana Brooke. And I'm not talking about her boobs, okay? I'm talking about just like everything else. There's just a lot of work going on. And again, it's her choice. But I'm also making my opinion and my observation, because I'm entitled to mine as well, it just doesn't look natural. That's really the best phrase I can use. Cheekbones, facial reconstruction, and she lost her muscles. I thought that's what made her stand out Mm -hmm. was her muscles. She was stronger than almost any woman on that roster. I mean, she was a weightlifter. Yeah. She looks completely different. 
I don't know what the heck they're dealing with her or if she's doing it to herself. And maybe she thinks that she'll get a push out of it. And it's sad because she was talented. She wasn't a top dog. But maybe if you put her in, um, you know, events when she was still a weightlifter with those top dogs, she would have got better and better and you would have had main event matches. And instead, you punished her and you put her in the tightest brand, whatever that garbage was, and just other stupid things. And it's like, man, the girl has some talent. Why don't you nurture it and go forward? And now she's just altering herself. And she might be one of the next cuts. Well, how much money has she spent on this? Mm-hmm. Or are they paying for it? If they're paying for it, if that's what they want and you're cool with it, fine. But the flip side to me is if she's paying for it and she gets released, what's the payoff for her? I mean, obviously, if you love lifting weights and developing your body and then you lost all that musculature to try to appease your boss and then you lose your job, well, What'd you gain? Just pain and sorrow. I hope that the motivation for her doing this to her body, I, I mean, again, it's hers. She can do what she wants. But I, I really do truly hope as a human being to a human being that her choices for all these alterations and assuming she's using her own money. Of course, that's an assumption. I don't know. As you said, maybe WWE is partially helping or whatever. That is, she's doing it because even beyond wrestling, she wants to do that. Like, I hope she's looking at this saying, you know, hey, if this helps me in the perception of being able to, you know, elevate myself to the to the next level, or maybe Vince or production is looking for this or that in a in a female, uh, you know, if if that's an addition, but I really want to do this for long term, then I understand. If she's doing this solely because she thinks it's going to help her career, I feel sorry for her, and I hope that's not the reason she's doing it. I really do because. We've learned over the last year, especially with the 80 to 90 releases of wrestlers, that nobody is safe. And it's surprising Dana Brooke has survived this long, honestly. Uh, And so I I just really hope that she's looking at this saying, no, this is not just for wrestling. This is because I I, I want to look like this. I'm not comfortable with this part of my body, that part of my body, so I'm going to alter it. You know, I really just hope it is a long-term vision, not just what will Vince and Kevin Dunn like on camera. Now it's Nick Khan. Nick Khan, so, yeah, Nick Khan, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the one, really. Yeah. Yes, yes. He's 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 the puppet, puppet yep. master at this point. Um, yeah. So it, 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 it's it's so contradictory. You know, it's like the twenty four seven championship is defended in a real match where no one can interfere, and then the jobbers come out and <laughs> yeah. Oh. All right. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Let, let's let's move on to something hopefully a little bit better, but I'm not sure. Bobby Lashley faces the Mysterios in a handicap match, two-on-one. Uh, and Bobby Lashley, thank goodness he beat them here, as he should have. And he locked Dominic in the hurt lock and dominated most of the match. I mean, it, they had some hope spots. There were some moments when you're like, oh, okay, you know, this is there's a small chance that they could pull this off, but... Bobby Lashley ends up soundly defeating the Mysterios as he should. And hopefully this program is over. And uh, anytime I see Dominic get thrown around like a rag doll is fun. I mean, I do not like Dominic from a character perspective in ring. He's, you know, chip off the old block. Uh, He's got a long way to go, but in ring, he's at least serviceable Uh, character wise. I can't stand him. I can't stand the chemistry between him and his father. I think it's forced. It's, 
it's not natural the way they speak to each other. Honestly, the way they use son and pops, nobody calls their, their most people don't call their son son. They use their actual birth given name. Uh, just little things like that have added up for me that I'm not a fan of their on camera uh, interactions at all. But seeing Bobby Lashley defeat them for me was a personal pleasure. Uh, what about you? There's many layers of an onion I can peel back on this one, actually. Okay. I loved it. First of all, yes, Lashley had to de- – Bobby Lashley is such an animal. And, yes, he had to defeat both of them. Now, of course, the biggest rumor is that the two of them are going to split. This is writing its own story if they do it right. And they have to pull their heads out of their backsides to make it work. And I, Jim Cornette rewrote it. <laughs> but, um, first of all, do you notice that they spent no expense giving Bobby Lashley like an 80 sparkler pyro beginning? <laughs> yeah, I, I did notice some of that. Yes, yes. Like, wow, that's that is the worst. The guy is, yeah, a dom- He's a destroyer, and you gave him sparklers. Yeah, yep. Okay, so first of all, this is how it goes down. They have this match one more time. They lose. Once again, Dominic loses, but Dominic says he can do it. So he tells his father, Ray, just just lay, stay out of it, stay out of it, lay low, let me do my own thing. I'm going to be Bobby Lashley. And then when it comes down to the big match, Bobby Lashley has him locked in the hurt lock. And what does Ray do? Nothing. He throws in the towel. Yep. And that's what causes the split. Because he promises he will not submit. And so he keeps his promises and he asks his father why. Why did he quit for him? And of course, Ray's going to be like, you're my son. That's why MVP cuts these golden promos. And that was a great beginning build was the whole thing. Like, you know, you're talking about you're going to let your son down. You're going to, you know, give up your son. You know, this. that is so... And talking about his Ooh. wife saying after I you know, beat him, yes. you give your wife yes. my number. Yeah. Yes. It works. They, they, they have to push this till, till first day. And it, this, they have to get, they have to get whooped at least one more time. And then Ray said, I, you know, Dominic says, I can do it on my own dad. I got to be my own man, blah, 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 blah. Ray throws in the towel. Dominic gets mad, but he's so injured he can't even shove him. He just like maybe gives him a three stooges doink in the eye. Classic heel move. And then when his dad covers his eyes, kicks him in the nuts and pushes him over. (laughs) I love it. And that is how you split them up. And then Ray wrestles for about a month or two. And they just keep interviewing him every day, and you see more frustration, but you don't see Dominic. Meantime, Dominic's down at the Performance Center learning because he needs to. And then probably – I'd even push it to the Rumble. I'd, I'd just have Dominic doing promos, and I'd have him doing like smoking a cigar with scantily, somewhat scantily clad women. Mimi, I apologize. I'm not a pervert. Uh, women. Just being like, I'm not my father. I don't want to wear a mask. 
I'm not family, man. I'm out for myself. That's a build. And then a big blow off at the Rumble, and after all that extra training, Dominic beats Ray, and hopefully Ray retires, maybe wrestles another year. You could work it a little bit more, but that's the way this needs to go. But MVP and Lashley are very much part of this because Bobby Lashley, you can believe he could beat up four men. And MVP can cut the most believable promos. He's got to have some kind of creative freedom on his promos. Because the way he delivers them and what he says, it doesn't seem like it's scripted. He is so good on that mic. So this is this is the seeds. This is the gardening. This is what we're going to grow here. We're, we want a tomato plant on this bad boy, okay? And um, But man, yeah. So I love this match for what it was worth. It wasn't terrible. I mean, I, you know, you you got to get this early in. It was almost like the 80s Killer Bees style where you thought they were going to win the tag titles, but they, they always fell short. There was great tag team chemistry and everything else, but one guy collides into the other, and oh, geez, and here we go, and then all of a sudden they lose. Also, fun note, Killer Bees were the first team to ever defeat Demolition using their Killer Bee masks. I know this. I also talked to B. Brian Blair about it. No shortage of wrestling history here, wrestling knowledge being dropped on our listeners. Um, I mean, I learned I learned more about wrestling. Uh, I mean, in our in our hour 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 and a half to two hour conversations than I do a lot of times in like a, a month or two of watching wrestling. Um, so, yeah, look, look, this is a program that you would think ended last night, but it given that they just started a new pay per view cycle, who's Bobby Lashley going to face if it's not the Mysterios? maybe at day one. I mean, you know, it's, it does lend itself to say, Hey, I don't, you know, it looks like they're going to be going into a program, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, if it ultimately leads to, and that's the ultimate goal for me has always been splitting up Dominic and Ray, because I think that, that would be a hell of a, a program as you laid it out would be fun to watch to see Dominic go off the rails and say, I'm not ashamed of who I am. I don't need to cover my face like you do, dad. Don't you remember what you did to me? You know, uh, putting my life on the line, uh, livelihood, my childhood on the line uh, in a, a ladder match in 2005 um, against Eddie Guerrero. Don't you remember that, dad? I didn't forget about all the emotional scarring that that put me through. There's so much material that they could pull from, and it would make Dominic infinitely more interesting than he is now. He's like the wallpaper; like he's just there. No one, no one really listens to him or watches him on the on mic. He's just so paper boring. Um, and, and again, a contrast to that is MVP, who, as you said, no way he has a script. MVP is a guy that doesn't need one, and if he's reading from one. I, I would have a hard time believing it. I think he's a guy that just gets bullet points. He said they just tell him, "Hey, uh, we're going this direction. Get us there." Like, just here's what we want to do, MVP. Uh, get us there, and I think that's how it comes across. And I'm loving every time MVP uh, is on the microphone. Uh, he has just been truly the MVP of WWE. I think in a lot of ways over the last 18 months, especially for Bobby Lashley's career. Um, but uh, anything else on this before we get to the final matchup here between Damian Priest and Sami Zayn? Uh, actually, I do have something to sidebar about Sami Zayn. Okay, well, that's nice segue. Go ahead. Okay, do you notice the way he's interacting with Vince McMahon once or twice a night is kind of a throwback to Mankind? In what way? Because Mankind was always trying to be Vince's friend, and Vince didn't like Mankind. 
like the initial interaction between them, he was just kind of like disgusted by mankind. But yet if Stone Cold was coming to hunt Vince or something like that, mankind would be like, you know, how you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm so happy to see you. I need you to do me a favor, you know? And, but Sammy's the one who feeds Austin to him. Austin Theory, that is. And yet he doesn't get rewarded. And mankind would never get rewarded. Yeah. I saw a little something there. I saw a little, they're, they're really big. I mean, especially with Kevin Owens using the stunner and Bray Wyatt using the mandible and everything else. I mean, there's definitely a retread. I mean, Ray Charles could see it and Stevie Wonder pointed it out. Come on. But, and if I offended anybody who's blind, I apologize. And just saying that anybody could see that coming a million miles away, that it was all retreaded. And um, the fact that, that all of a sudden Sami Zayn's like interjected in this, but he's kind of being rejected, reminds me of one Mr. Mick Foley. Before he got a push. I never even thought about that. Like I, I knew that my something was going off in my brain. And I said, why is this familiar? But Sami Zayn acts like that with anybody he's trying to use. Or anybody that's in a position of power. He will try to accommodate himself to that individual or individuals. So that he tries, he gets what he wants. I mean, that that's kind of what Sami does. But you're right. Specifically with Vince McMahon, it is a bit Mick Foley mankind, mankindish, where Vince will use that talent to his benefit to protect him, but never reward him back. Like it's just a very, it's very much a one-way street relationship. And it now again, I'm not saying that this is going to blossom into anything. Vince is probably going to be off TV next week, so for some reason he thought it was important to come on here for an egg angle. I mean, again. If this leads to The Rock coming back long term, I guess I'll accept it. But for all intents and purposes, I think this silly egg angle went absolutely nowhere. Um, but it, you're right; it could be for, um, or I'm saying not um, uh, for, for The Rock. And if it is, that's fine. Sami Zayn right now is to me one of the most underutilized talents in terms of not being in some kind of championship position. If this is going to lead something long term with Vince and Sami. Fine. You know, I, I'm okay with it. But also, again, Vince on camera is not fun. It used to be. Vince on camera used to be fun, but now he's sometimes hard to even understand. He His voice is so raspy, and he loses his train of thought kind of a little bit uh, that – it's, it, it, he's not the same guy he was when he was, you know, it was Austin versus McMahon. It's It's not the same guy. He's still got flashes of that. But there's also a trend downward into just like Alzheimer's or dementia. And it's his age. I mean, again, it's just it is what it is. But I don't want Vince on camera that much anymore because he's just it's uncomfortable to watch. And for him to come back for this egg angle is just preposterous. So, All right. Okay. First of all, yep. and, and let's I'm going to say one thing about the egg angle. I think it was a barb to the rest, uh, wrestling industry, and I'm explain why. Because how many, how much money do you think was made from all the Survivor Series over the years? Just if you could spitball, probably a hundred million. Yeah, I was going to say you're in hundred, you're in the hundred, hundred million plus range. Yeah, 
Okay. And what was the feature of the first Survivor Series? Wasn't the gobbledygooker? Coming out of an egg. Yeah, it, it was the coming out of the egg. Yeah, it was one of the worst angles ever created. Yeah. That's why That's why I think they, they segued this. Of course, it was all the Rock stuff, and they're talking about, first of all, I don't think that, that the Rock versus Roman is going to do anything, but we'll get to that at some other point. All right. But yeah, I think and I think it was a barb at his own um, pay per view, saying you know it was it was almost a joke, but I destroyed my competition with it. And honestly, it was it was the beginning of the dom- downfall for NWA uh, WCW because they had a hot pay per view on their hands, and he countered it with the Survivor Series, and the counter was, if you don't present my pay per view then you can't carry my pay-per-view on your company anymore. And that's what crippled WCW, who had a superior card and a superior product on the same day. Live from Cleveland, I think it was 1991 or 92, because they played the results on TV, or they, they talked about the results on the news that day, and I lived in Cleveland. Well, yeah, look, this is... This is an angle that, you know, it could be, like you said, it could be a bit of a, an homage or a, um, a joke on himself. But at this point, how many years ago was Survivors? The very first one, it was in the eighties, right? Like, well, 89, no nineties. It was like 90, 1990. Hold on. I was in class with, it's weird. I can do this with my brain. I was in ninth grade. So that would have been 90. 1991. Same year Undertaker debuted then. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was his debut. 1990. Okay. 1990. Okay. So, all right. So 90. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think outside of Corey Graves, who he mentioned it at Survivor Series in a kind of a clever way. I mean, Corey Graves isn't my favorite on the mic, but he did mention in a kind of a passing way that no, anytime anybody brings an egg to Survivor Series, it never ends well, and then they they just moved on. And uh, there was some laughs, I think, from Cole, which, again, that was the only kind of in passing mention about the analogy between the gobbledygooker and the egg that was presented, you know, uh, what, how many years later? 31 years later. So there's there's actually more because who was the gobbledygooker? Who was it? Hector Guerrero, Eddie's brother. (laughs) Eddie has died within the same week. That's why everybody's doing frog splashes. Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah. It's weird how my brain works. <laughs> how do you remember these things? Oh, gosh. All right. Oh, God. All right. Um, so, Damien Priest. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, Damien Priest, Sami Zayn, U.S. Championship. Well, first of all, did you notice he phoned in the funk when he came out to the ring? He was just like, yeah, I'm here. Yes. You know, it was just so like, I'm tired or like. Tomorrow's my off day kind of thing. So he didn't even pose much, whatever. Uh, he's showing 50-50 kind of tweener-ish. You know, you don't know if he's a face or a heel or if he'll just fight anybody. And then you have Apollo and Aziz come out. First of all, don't give Aziz the mic. Just let him stand there. Get rid of that staff. That is so stupid looking. Giant Q-tip, yeah. Yeah, I mean... King Kong's ears are clean at this point. Um, but for him to, to deliver the promo, 
And then Apollo delivered the promo and then declined the offer. Why come out then? This is really bad writing. And then I loved Sami Zayn coming out and accepting it. And that was more of the Mick Foley thing. Like, the, well, he doesn't want it. I'll take it. And it reminded me of when Kane challenged Mick Foley to the cage match on Raw. And remember when Mick Foley sat there and started putting the thumbtacks in his face? And you remember what he said? He's like, well, I'm going to wrestle, but I'm going to get my ass kicked. <laughs> I haven't thought about that in like 20 years. Yeah. Yep. That's what I do, man. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, I was just like, Sami Zayn has some elements in there of Mick Foley. And people are not seeing that there might be something more organic with the stupid. That They might be getting away from the, con- I mean, the conspiracy thing. At least we don't have the people filming him anymore. I really wasn't a fan. It was... When people say entertaining, it's like, okay, we, well, we chuckle, but we all know when a wrestler goes comedy, unless you're Kurt Angle or Select View, you don't come back. And what I see there is like, could we see a serious wrestler coming out of this? Could we see a guy who actually can say, okay, maybe Adam Pierce and Sonya Deville were holding him back for a purposeful reason? Now, I will say this. While Sammy's in-ring is good, man, he's not looking good physically. He is looking just way out of shape. And, uh, like, I don't know. I, I may, Maybe he's just not hitting the gym. Um, but he was still doing a great job. It was a great match. Not super great. But, um, you know, the, the only thing that really killed the match for me, not killed it, but, like, eh, was when Priest started hulking up. Yeah. That whole, he's got a look in his eyes, and then he, he did a little bit of the shake, and then they panned away, and I'm like, don't hulk up, please. That is, and I, I saw that, and I thought the same thing. And, like, I actually have been a fan of the Priest change, because I, I, I didn't like his baby face, I'm an archer for no reason type of deal. Uh, you know, th- this change, although we have had zero explanation how this has happened, what triggered it or, you know, why it's continuing. I do at least enjoy the fact that he's he's more aggressive. There is that point where he snaps and he becomes kind of like, again, hulking up is a, is a bad term because I don't want him actually to hulk up. But whatever his version of it is, I don't mind it. Just don't actually point to any hulking up. We, it, it, it's it, It's been dead a long time. And uh, I mean, my point is, though, I like the Damian Priest alteration without the homage to Hulk Hogan's Hulk up. Yes, I, I'm with you on that one. Yeah. So that that was that was my biggest drawback. But I mean, they went the way the match should have went for now. Um, but it makes me wonder if Sammy is a future world champion, like if he'll get on Vince's good side. He was on two different segments with him, which means Vince picks this. And he was picked for a title shot. And I'm just wondering if like his differentness is something like it's just tickling his brain like Mick Foley. And he's saying, okay, I I got the next Mick Foley because he has so many homages to everything else. And he was trying it with Mankind, with Bray Wyatt, with the Fiend character. So what if he's going a different avenue? I could be reading too much into it, but people look at this. 
listeners, if you see these similarities, please let us know. Let me know at Twitter because I see it. I really, really see it. And um, it's just funny, like for somebody who's supposed to be insignificant to the roster to have so much camera time and to have so much similarities to a build for somebody who was never supposed to be a world champion, but worked so hard that he won the old man over. It's ideas. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been advocating for Sami Zayn to become world champion for a while. And I don't, I truly believe that had Roman Reigns not stepped in and been an amazing heel. And for so long that he's been so good that Sami Zayn probably on SmackDown would have been world champion at some point um, if Roman Reigns was not there as a heel. I think Sami Zayn could have filled that position very nicely. Um, you know, the conspiracy theorist has evolved into the elder statesman. He, he sometimes starts to talk about a little bit about the conspiracy theory and how his documentary is still coming out. But like you're right, no more camera crews. He's moved away from that a little bit. And it's now the elder statesman of SmackDown, just giving people advice, trying to use people, all that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, maybe again, I hope that something comes of this for Sami Zayn. Ultimately, I, I have concerns and doubts that it was just a one off and that Vince in this egg thing was really for absolutely no reason at all. Um, and that no one's going to really benefit from it other than being remembered as, oh, yeah, remember Vince came back out of nowhere just to talk about an, a, a, a movie prop that egg. Remember that? And no one's going to remember it or care. Uh, but I hope Sami Zayn is able to use this as a springboard to wherever they want to take him. So um, is there anything else? I know, again, that, that kind of covers Raw, but uh, you can respond to that or uh, anything else that you may have on your list of things before we close things out. Well, you know, I, I just feel um, for everybody who got released. And I wonder who you think might be on the chopping block for the next round. Mm. I mean, I think Dana Brooke, as we alluded to, is concerning um, on that list. She, to me, is it's amazing she has not been. I'm sure she was considered as um, as one of the potentials. I mean, she is uh, she she has been to me on the chopping block the, the metaphorically for quite some time, uh, and so I think she, in terms of the women's division, is one of concern. As I look at the current roster now, I mean, hmm. I could see Nikki A.S.H. Nikki actually being uh, in terms of, again, women's division would be of concern Um, on the men's side. I mean, you have uh, Jinder Mahal, Shanky. I mean, they they probably won't be missed if they're if they're gone. What about you? Well, I'm going to say Akira Tozawa. I mean, basically anybody in the 24-7 group and that whole stupid football angle, which we didn't get to tonight, but I'm glad we didn't do that. Um, I would say Mustafa Ali. Mm. He's not He's not 300 pounds. Uh, Mansoor, they'll hold on to because yes. they use him. They, they're just going to abuse him and use him for overseas. Uh, but Mustafa Ali... Um, Oh, shoot, I had somebody else on my mind. Oh, Francis. You know, he stole Pee-wee's bike. That's Otis, everybody. Yes, yes, that's Otis. He, I could see that, sadly. And probably I, Jack Gable. Yeah. I that's, think... that, 
say that, but I mean, and there's so much talent missed there. Otis, I think, could have had talent. There's there's ways I would have booked him to do a lot more. But anyway, go ahead. No, I, and the thing, I mean, I have not heard anything about another round yet, but it doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason. There doesn't seem to be a time frame that's consistent, like they do it every four weeks. It's here or there, then they do it in like big bunches, and then they don't do anything for like three months, and then all of a sudden there's a big release again. There's no easy to predict timetable for when these will happen. But this is, again, we're not saying guys that this is on the, on the table. We're saying if there is another round that these are the potentials in our mind of who could be on the chopping block. Uh, yeah, no, no doubt. Akira Tozawa, Chad Gable, Otis. Um, I, I don't want to say our truth because our truth is a beloved character. Um, okay, yeah. Here's a good question. How about one that would shock you? Like could happen like theoretically could like Randy Orton's not going to happen. Okay. But like one, like, like a Braun Strowman or Bray Wyatt, like what kind of thing? Mm, one that, okay. That's a little more difficult, but let me think about it. Um, I think in my mind, one that would be shocking, but realistic. And people are going to go a little bit ballistic on this one. I think AJ Styles. Um, that's what i was gonna say uh sorry <laughs> sorry uh and the reason it, and again i i my bad i mean we just picked the same guy out of nowhere but aj styles because they've gone so long now without giving him a a singles run that i don't believe there's a chance that they won't ever do it and they're just waiting for his contract to expire or maybe they'll get rid of him early so I, insanely i could see him getting released see he said that when he signed his contract with WWE a few years ago, that it was his last contract he would ever sign. So, mm. you know, get what you want out of training almost, training uh, training him to be a professional, everything else, and then kick you in the ass and have a good day. And we don't have to pay for the last six months. And they signed him to some pretty fat uh, contracts. Now, the only other one I would say close to that might be Matt Riddle. Because they just don't really know what to do with him. That would be insane. Um, but it was insane with Keith Lee. It was yeah. insane with Cross Bray Wyatt. So, yeah, I mean, so there. You know, those those are the uh, just for Matt Riddle. I would say because they don't know how to book him um, unless they really do have a plan. And like, it's funny that you and I could spitball a plan in like thirty seconds, and the writers don't know what to do. But. Um, I can just see them like Nick Khan be like, he's not one of ours. So I, we just get rid of him and, you know, we're going to make this Von Wagner and we're going to make Paul Johnson and Ralph Schlemowitz, the, the best wrestlers ever. And they're green, but we're going to put them on NXT 2.0 and have them wrestling pink singlets. And I don't know. So, yeah, it's just something that my nephew wanted me to ask you about and think about because John Morrison really surprised me. And the fact is that they're the ones who are responsible for that. They screwed that up so bad, just so bad. You had a guy who's so singularly talented, and you didn't know what to do with him except pair him into the same thing that you had released him with 10 years prior. Like, are you... And they did nothing else other than that with him. They, yeah, they exactly. had the heel turn at the end, but that doesn't count. They didn't follow. There was nothing to that. You, they didn't do anything other than put him right back where he was. There was nothing else he did. The reason he left 
is the reason they brought him back. Do you think he's going to be Johnny Elite or back to Johnny Impact? Mm. Uh, I mean, AEW is the place that uh, is the cool new place to be. It's It's the, you know, they've got much deeper pockets than any other wrestling promotion other than WWE. I mean, I'd like to see him on in AEW. I actually think the fans there would genuinely be happy to see him because they know they'd get a version of him that they've wanted to see in WWE other than just the sophomore garbage that him and The Miz put on for years. So I think the fans actually would be excited for him in uh, AEW. Do I think he's going to go back to Impact? I mean, it's it's possible. It's possible, but I think if if you're smart... And I think John Morrison is that you want to go where the money is. You want to go where the hot product is. You would want to go to Impact or um, AEW. I mean, I I don't see any other way that he'd want unless money's not a, an issue. And he he you know has I I don't know. I think AEW is ultimately where he lands. But it's I wouldn't be surprised if he even goes to like back to New Japan or something like that. I mean, I, yeah. What do you think? Well, uh, he always changes his name for every place he goes. So if he goes to New Japan, he'd be like Johnny Japan or Johnny Nippon. Yeah. Or, you know, you got to think about these things. But um, I think he'll become Johnny Elite and, uh, and then he'll showcase his skills like he has. And it's just so sad because they made him act like a child. I almost feel like they got all these people to outright bury him. So, like, Vince had this plan in the territorial days before he outright took over television. A lot of people who don't listen or, or who don't know wrestling as, as far back as I do, or like Memphis Mark or something like that. Didn't know the territories when you had options of AWA, NWA, WWF, blah, 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 blah. When Vince got somebody, he would rebrand them as who they were. Or if he brought them in, who they were, on their way out, he would outright bury them bad. So he was hoping that they wouldn't have a job someplace else. Mm-hmm. And then when he brought them back is when he would rebrand them. Henceforth, Mike Rotundo was Mike Rotundo, the U.S. Express with Barry Windham. They leave. Mike Rotundo comes back. Now he's IRS. It's like, no, he was one of your world tag team championships or champions. And then Barry Windham comes back years, 10 years later or more than that. And now he's the stalker. And then you admit he's Barry Windham because the attitude era comes and you have to admit there's some reality to it. So I see a little bit of that. Okay, AEW started. You had all these talented people. They're going to show you up. So why don't we get them? Why don't we bury them? And then we release them. He's doing his backwards politics. Yeah, this is... I mean, it's it's quite a game we we're playing here. I mean, like it's honestly a it's something you could create an entire show out of. Is who goes where? Uh, who do you think is next? Who would be a shocking release, but a realistic one? Who are the people that are untouchable? It's really kind of a fun concept that maybe you know at some point in the near future we could all get together and, and do that because it's it's something that's fascinating and I'd like to put more thought into it um, about these these things because I think it's something that unfortunately is going to happen again. Um, it, you know, but every time you think WWE's done cutting people, they do it again and again and again and label it budget cuts, which I think is a bunch of nonsense. So, um, yeah, th- th- this is this is definitely a deeper, separate podcast for sure. 
Definitely. You know, and it's like one thing I'll, I'll leave with the, the, the listeners with is like the, the idea I gave you, which is Bray Wyatt's best reemergence in wrestling would be New Japan and evolve the fiend character into a fiend kabuki character. And then work also with AEW through the open door policy and maybe with impact. But with that character, he'd blow the doors off everything and become the biggest thing. He'd be the biggest thing since the Bullet Club. Because you, you put an Asian spin on the Fiend and let him have more creative control. We're talking, we're talking dollars, hand over fist. But anyway... My Twitter is 144Captain, so um, I don't know what else to say. It's been a good night. Yeah, definitely. No, it's always great talking with you. Uh, our, our therapy session has concluded with wrestling. Thank you. I really yeah, appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, the hourly rate uh, is, uh, is, is a bit substantive, so I accept cash check money order. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it, it's always a fun time talking wrestling. Everybody that, uh, you know, listens, enjoys when, when you're on the show. So, uh, definitely we'll, we'll have to be, we'll have to do this again sooner than later. And, uh, it was great talking with you tonight. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. Always humbled and everybody out there, I miss you. And, uh, if you're new to listening to the show, find me, you know, 144 captain at Twitter. So, you yeah. know, absolutely. All right. All right. Thanks so much, brother. And we'll be talking soon. Bye. Bye.